This podcast is presented by Rabbi Peretz Muchkin, speaking to the millennial generation. Welcome everyone to the Rabbi Peretz podcast. We got to finish off these last two months of joy strong. So I was thinking, what can I do to really bring joy to full circle and practical and layer it to a space where we can actually use it and think about it? And you need to really make things into three quick steps if you're going to actually do something and grow with it. So over the last six, seven weeks, we've been talking about joy. We started off with like layer one, that joy is your status, that you actually have a childlike joy within you, that it's only cynicism and maybe adulthood or other adults that get in the way of having that joy, but it's there. And just knowing it's there is really a comforting feeling to know that you can always uncover that. Now, the next step I'm was... I'm so amazed that you're you're working your way through this with that beefing in the background. <laughs> That's a, You are a focused man. Well, you know... It's, it's gone I, now. You're good. Keep we're, going. We're good. Yeah. We're good. I well, hope I didn't derail I you. I think it's part of like being in the Venice Synagogue on Rose Avenue in the heart of Venice. There's yeah. going to be some background noise that really is there, no matter how soundproof it's I try atmosphere. to make this room. It's atmosphere. Speaking of joy as a status, let me introduce you guys to Ross Everett. Ross is an amazing man that I'm so happy that I got to meet him in San Francisco just a little bit. And then only my imagination would know if I'd ever see him again because he left off to the stratosphere of acting in Hollywood and was on, I would see him on YouTube and on all on Facebook and really just enjoyed watching his journey. And then as time would have it, I end up here in Venice Beach and Ross reaches out and he says, hey, man, are you now down south here in Southern California? So I'm so happy you that. you teach uh, me about God? You put up a <laughs> post on Facebook that was like, hey, if you want to be an atheist, go be an atheist. We'll see you when you want more. And I was just like, that's the coolest approach to religion I've ever experienced. There's got to be free choice even within your own free choice, which means you got to be able to see yourself as part of your existence is to make choices. And it's not that, oh my God, I have two things. I don't know what I need to take and what I need to believe in, what I need to go with. And so I got to choose one. No, it's part of your life's journey to actually have to make choices. So in order to make a choice, the first thing is you got to establish where you're holding. So people are like, oh, Rabbi, I'm an atheist. It's not for me. I'm like, no, no, that's a great place to begin. Yeah. Let's, that's what you are. Let's try to go from there. I always found that in order to actually find faith, you have to let go of it. Like I, I grew up, I went to Chabad as a kid, hated it. I went to a Jewish high school, didn't hate that nearly as much. But I, you know, you're taught that, you know, God is an old man in a, in a Gary Larson cartoon with a beard <laughs> and, and he has these rules. And if you don't follow them, there's a equal and opposite reaction to every action that's taken. And it just like, it didn't sit well with me. And so I had to, I had to leave. I was like, all right, I'm out for a bit. And then in coming back in, like you just have a whole new, I had a whole new lens at, at how I look at this stuff. Well, I tell my kids hate is a strong word. Hate is a strong uh, word. Because we what I mean by that is reserve it for the proper time. <laughs> <laughs> but just though like yeah. I hate that, that's not good no, enough. For I me, was speaking right? hyperbolic. I no, was But I yeah. agree with you. In essence, like you're hating something that is just radically doesn't seem to fit with your sensibilities in this world. And that's where I think hate really comes up in people is like that doesn't fit at all in my value system. Yeah. I felt very disenfranchised being told because. Why do I have to do this? Because, because it's our people, because it's, it's like, ugh, like, let me find tradition on my own. Mm -hmm. 
So I think we can yeah. talk about that, but through yeah. the lens of joy. Let's do yeah. because that's our conversation. The piece. conversation. To, and I love joy. joy. You like joy as a status. Well, I feel your inner like flow. you know if we boil down our purpose to one thing or another, um, mine has come up to me like just in meditation or whatever as I'm a purveyor of joy, and it's really cool to get to use the word purveyor. But <laughs> like I, I am. I feel like I'm here to incite joy, to help people find their joy, whatever it may look like. And what you kind of said at the beginning, this whole like we have a little child inside of all of us who just wants to be happy and joyful. And then, you know, through keeping ourselves safe or our parents keeping us safe or any kind of authority figure keeping either themselves or ourselves safe, we get these rules and then this fear mm. kind of mutes elements of us but that spark is still there it's like the pilot light in your in your heater like the pilot light doesn't go out uh we just kind of the gas has been turned down a little bit well i i think that that's aptly put the right way to approach that is is that to meditate on i always have somewhere to draw from uh, that's what i like to call the childhood joys like that's where you draw your joy from ultimately and if you believe it's still there then you bring it out it's the saddest things when somebody doesn't feel like it's still there well, it could it could be dark. Like they're not looking in the same place. I've definitely had times where I'm like, I am not me, right? Mm -hmm. Like these things that used to make me happy, which is how I would kind of tie into my identity, would be like, the, oh, well, like that doesn't work anymore. And where am I? Where am I going to find my joy? And if we don't have joy in this life, um, why have it? I this, think, yeah. This became the Hasidic approach is to use joy as a strategy when things were really dark. And you can't find that place to draw from. The first Hasidic master, the Baal Shem Tov, came up with this concept. They said, well, then what I'm going to do is I'm going to use joy as a strategy. And I'm going to be happy. I'm going to make people happy. And I'm going to spread joy through telling people that they're valuable and they're awesome. I meet simple people. I'm going to say, your simplicity is a of a divine origin. Your sophistication gets in the way of, of allowing yourself to flow. And somebody who's sophisticated, I'm going to tell them, you got to share your sophistication for it to truly grow and develop. In other words, every single solitary scenario that unfolds, he's going to twist it into a strategy for going to the next level. And the reason why he chose joy is because since it's connected to the essence of who you are, so when you deploy it, when you use it, it's going to activate the sparks in other people. It's your superpower. It's your superpower. It's like it's the most contagious part of the human experience. That's right. Like a powerful smile. I, uh, well, I don't know. I dance back and forth on this because sometimes I'll smile at people and I feel like it makes them be like, get the <laughs> away from me. Like, get this guy away from me. But when I'm like truly like in my zone and happy and dancing, like I, I feel like I have a superpower. Like I could send it to someone and they'll just like laugh. Like, who's this idiot? And like, I'm the idiot, you know, like I, I get to be this beautiful idiot that like, I, yeah, no, I I I'd care. rather call you a cosmic jester. Oh, <laughs> wow. Yeah, I'll get that on. When some, you make a lot of people happy, cards. you know, you really just you got to look at it like it's more it's more than just the people you meet. It's become an attitude that whoever I meet, if I can't impart something, I'm going to impart joy. I'm going to impart this type of happiness and create that vibe. I know that'll continue. And the beauty is like, you know, we've got introverts and extroverts and, and not everybody wants to be that person dancing down the street and, and inciting smiles. And, and like the cool thing about the human experience is that it's so unique to each individual. So what brings one person joy might not bring another person joy. And there are some things that like I just really 
like do not want to do like in career and whatever it is. And I'll, I'll come across somebody that's like, I really like organizing. And I'm like, you really like, tell like, tell me, do, do you love it? And they're like, yeah, like I love it. I'm good at it. And I go, Oh, thank God. Because if, if you love it, it means I don't have to like, yeah. like, like that base has been covered. Right. Um, there's someone that like really loves environmental sciences. Like they feel so called to it. Like, great, go do it. Like I, that's not something that calls to me. I'm so happy you're here to take that on in a way that lights you up. Like when you find that joy in your life, what, like I'm a, a big believer that whatever lights you up is what you're here to do. Like what a cruel joke it would be for we're, the, like, this is why we get along. Cause yeah. we're really speaking each other's <laughs> language. I, I love saying that your attractions are your indicators that let you know what's unique to you. Yeah. You just have to turn it to positive kosha and the right type of ways of expressing it right not every uh, attraction has to be from a debased point of view it could be from a very enlightened and refined point of view it's just that's where you come in with your free choice but as far as your attractions they're yours they're what's sending you signals that i have something to offer here or there's something for me to learn here yeah and that's imperative to having a meaningful life and of course living to your full potential which is to me why joy as a status is why the conversation starts there because if, if from the inside of who you are is joyful, then by following your indicators and following your, quote, heart and attractions, you're able to tie it down to your joy. And then I think each person on some level could be infectious, attractive, giving, and honoring this world. So this is where that fits into, I think, this identity as a Jewish person is to, well, I am different than the people around me. I have some quirky things around me but they're supposed to squeeze out of me something unique. Yeah. So what is this generation going to contribute? This is kind of my calling is to squeeze something out of my generation that says, I would like to contribute as a Jew in this world. And it doesn't have to be the way I did it in Brooklyn. It has to happen the way it's it happening here in definitely Venice. Definitely can't like, you know, this is an audio format, but they can't see your Adidas shirt. That is like <laughs> blue with flowers. And it's just like, you look like wall art. <laughs> like it's it's really wonderful. You come up to greet me. You've got your earbuds, and you're the hippest looking rabbi I've ever seen in my life. It's fantastic. I just just trying to make it easy on the people to say that's my I, rabbi. You know, I, I don't want to make it too difficult. Believe that. And another part of me is just like you effing love this. Like like you you get to shine in a way that like how could you not be happy when you're wearing this shirt? Exactly. I mean, seriously. It's like like you've got this style. You've got this brightness to you to your wardrobe down to your gold shoes that you wear. And it's like yeah like like you know you have permission to wear that as a way of like being like cool. I'm gonna relate to the 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 people of Venice. But also, like, you wouldn't step into this. Like, you don't look like you're wearing this begrudgingly. It's almost like a permission to have a freedom that some of the more, like, confined elements of, of our tradition would maybe in the past have, have not shunned. That's a hard word. But, like, discouraged, let's say. But, like, here you are, this bright, shining light in the middle of Venice. And I, I can't stop talking about you to people because it's such oh, a unique it. experience in Judaism, in, in the community, in, in, in what I've felt disenfranchised from growing up as a Jew, then leaving, then saying, like, no, 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 I'm coming back, but it's on my terms, which I think is something that our generation really feels, which is, like, the sense of autonomy. Like, let me decide who I am. Let me speak my truth. And when we look at organized religion, they're like, you could speak your truth to an extent, but you seem to be giving full permission to people to show up as they are and you meet them where they're at. And that's what's what's so like really amazing 
about what's going on here. And it's contagious and it's growing in the best way possible because well, it's you. joyful. I'll share a little bit about where this the psychology of this for me is that I feel that my job is to represent the people who come to me. So even though when you come here or the people who come here don't feel like they're, they're just checking me out and checking out the community, even if they're comfortable and they come regularly, I don't represent them. I'm not a spokesperson for them, but I feel like I am. When I go back to New York or when I look at the heavens per se, I feel like I'm a spokesperson for my generation, essentially saying that there's nothing bad going on here. There's just people trying to find out, well, what's my position in all this? And sometimes doing exactly as you're told as a kid or following the religion exactly the way you find it on Google doesn't feel yeah. like it represents what you are. And I want to help people get to the place where they feel like this is where, they are, where, this is where they're supposed to be. As I heard once at a conference, I don't think a rabbi should be a sage on the stage, but a guide on the side. And I was like, that's Ooh. it for me. Like, I, I, that's my role. I'm just a guide on the side. If the people can take center stage, that's fine. But I want to facilitate truth. And the best way to facilitate truth is make somebody very comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> if they're seated comfortably and they're happy and they're engaged and they're an aesthetic that makes sense to them and the environment is right, they can handle the truth. In a courtroom, you can't handle the truth. Yeah. Very difficult. You feel judged. You feel pushed. So I think joy is the answer to truth as well. When you're happy, you can take in so much more than when you're sad and when you're not happy and when you don't feel confident. I see my son is preparing for his bar mitzvah and there are certain days I just see this incredible pressure that he feels yeah. and he's struggling so hard to memorize his blessings and what he needs to do. So I just put a hand around him. I'm like, dude, man, you'll read inside. It's cool. Yeah. I, you don't have to know it all by heart. It's, uh, in other words, I just want him to... I'm going to do a podcast with him so people can hear like this <laughs> beautiful song. But I want to tell you today about what, what the main thing I wanted to talk to you about oh, was. We today. haven't even gotten there. Yeah, go, yeah, go, go, we go, haven't yeah, gotten yeah. there. Yeah. I want to talk about the final layer of joy. And that is not as a status or a strategy, but joy as breakthrough. To break. <laughs> <laughs> now you get it? Now I know. Okay, I'm right, here. I'll explain that. <laughs> so, firstly, it's like this My name is Parrots, and use Parrots in a sentence. All right, I'll do it. <laughs> so in, in Hebrew, there's a line, Simcha Poretz Geder, that joy breaks all boundaries. And, and Peretz means breakthrough. Peretz means to breach, to persevere, to overcome the obstacles. And I grew up with this name. And as a child, it felt a little like a burden. It felt like, what, what does this mean to breakthrough? I had a namesake who I was named after who was a total breakthrough type of person, totally lived I think breakthrough really means like a true individual path that you're, you're excited about and, and you feel this joy and this happiness. And that's why the line is with joy, not with war. It's not war breakthrough. It's joy is the breakthrough. Mm. So the final layer of joy to me is when you're actually breaking through scenarios with your happiness and with your joy. You're actually, you actually harness this incredible tool within you and you're going with it and you're doing it. Now, the other day, I saw your show, which you created and you perform in, and the show starts off with this incredible idea of breakthrough. Who wants the breakthrough? <laughs> and you really make people 
jump into that moment and breakthrough. And maybe to the crowd, it's just like you're obviously a comedian playing this uh, parody host of a self-help seminar. But for me, it's breakthrough. It's just me. Bring yourself out there, parrots, you know? And I, th I thought that was very exciting for it. Just I'm never going to think about that the same way again. I'm uh, just calling your name out. Calling yeah. out parrots. <laughs> it's know? so funny to think about. like uh, Because this is I've been doing this show for about two and a half years now. And it's been exciting, exhilarating, and some of the most um, difficult is not the right word, but like I've had to push through. I've had to break through so many limiting beliefs, and I wouldn't have been able to do that had I not loved it. I've had a bunch of projects before that were fun, that I kind of enjoyed, but when it came time to like make that change in myself to persevere through this, to get on the other side of the obstacles that were in front of me, I didn't love it enough. And I would rather have the comfort. I would rather have the, the I don't know, what, like the excuses. But when I started doing this show, like there was a different light in, inside that was like, keep doing it. And, and I felt it reflected in others because I've had so many projects that I've been begging for this kind of response from. Like, please love this and please let this resonate with you. And they're like, oh, it's good. It's funny. But with this show, people would come up to me and they'd say, like, when are you doing it next? I want to bring people. And it was when that started to happen that I was like, OK, this is this feels bigger than me. Um, and using that kind of momentum, that joy, that excitement inside of me, I I took the scariest leaps, like the most frightening leaps. I would invest thousands of dollars into myself when I didn't feel like I had thousands of dollars to invest. And I would be staying up like through the night, writing, reworking, learning new programs. Like I, I had to learn how to how to program this whole show. There's there's a you know a PowerPoint presentation essentially with music that has certain cues and certain lighting cues at certain times. And going into this, I had a vision, but I never really knew how to how to make it work. So I had to go out and learn this program called QLab from scratch. Hire someone to train me in this so that I could be self sufficient and bring this show to where I wanted it to be. And on the other side of it, you're like, oh, yeah, it was great. I loved every moment of it. I'm so happy I did it. But as I'm going through, I'm like, why Why am I doing this? I'm telling you, everybody who sees the show knows that for somebody to stand up there for an hour plus, an hour and 20 minutes, and forget entertain and make people laugh, but like put together such a highly curated show, it feels like you put some incredible, genuine joy, personality, and you have to persevere in order to get that. It really comes through. There's some brilliant moments that that really stick with me. And one of my favorite is instead of fake it till you make it, feel, <laughs> feel it till you, you reel it. it. I couldn't get enough of that <laughs> because the whole idea of feelings is that if you don't harness your feelings then essentially they run you instead of you running it. Yeah. And you got to learn how to take, take control of your feelings so they could become emotionally mature. And emotional maturity is one of the most underdeveloped parts of our lives because as a kid, people take care of you. So you're not forced to have to take care of those emotions. But as an adult in 2019, if you don't learn how to harness your emotions. That's essentially the weakest point. That's where you get tackled. That's where you get hit. Those are your weak links. So for you to, you were, it, it's like a parody moment, but you look around the crowd and people are like, no, this is not just <laughs> hilarious. Feel it till you reel it. They're like, oh my God, I love this. I'm going to think about that for a while. That was awesome. How'd you come up with that idea? Uh, I was, so the way that I, I was working with this show, this is based in clown work. 
Um, and clown to me is idiocy. I use that word, but well, a cosmic joker, right? Like, like the, I love that you said that. Um, it, there's something about personal development work that I love. And there's something about it that I find like I have these incredible blocks around. And it was because it was taken so seriously. And I was like, I'm not going to let you into my heart and brain. I don't know you from Adam. Like these, these gurus at the front of the stage, these, all these different personal development courses. And I'd been studying comedy since I moved out to Los Angeles 10 years ago. So my brain had already been attuned to like, if I, if I have a need for defense, my defense mechanism is humor. So these things start coming up and I start making jokes about it. But I also start to feel the the shift in myself as I'm taking in these distinctions. And I realized that it was the humor around it that lowered my guard. So when I went out and I studied this clown stuff, I realized that there's something very universal about stupidity, like, like sim- simplicity. Um, if you look at a dog and this dog has this, like, it doesn't know where it is. All it's doing is just like looking at the ball in your hand. That's its only focus. You're like this simple dog. I love it so much. And all it wants is this ball. So I would start to take these personal development things that have helped me. And I said, how could I make this stupid? How could I make this like something that you would laugh at? Because you're like, that is so inherently ridiculous. I, I, I can't even believe that someone would, would say that seriously. So that's why I came up with the name of the show, Stop Stopping the Unstoppable. I love it. I, I would say, like, don't fake it till you make it, feel it till you reel it. Um, can I say the F word on this? Because there's a part of it. You let me know. <laughs> then I have to click explicit content. Be, okay, <laughs> so I'll, I'll say it like this. Um, don't fail forward, screw up. Yeah, got yeah. it. So like those things would just kind of like spill out of me when I'd say like, we've all heard fail forward. You know, we've all heard fake it till you make it. And I was like, okay, how do I make it dumber? Like, right. like what's the most kind of pretentious kind of like <laughs> dumb way I can wrap that and deliver it. And that's just become the character. What's brilliant about it is that I really think people are kind of done with a certain age of one liners and aphorisms, yes. etc. There's like a certain, We've been worn out and in the and in the social media age with with putting, you know, lines out there and putting ideas out there in words. It's like there's a race for like what's next. And you're just like, what's next? Let's go back to what was before. Yeah. Like just like simply like you just got to do it, man. You just got to get through this. And if you do it happily, you'll probably learn something from it, too. And you'll probably grow from the experience as well. And that shines through, man. I think first and foremost, it's a comedy show. That's the one thing that like I've been clear about. I, I've had I've been doing this show over 50 times now. Wow. And I've done it in for four people. I've done it for 150 people. I've done it in stairwells. I've done it in like really dark, like tiny rooms. So I've failed a lot with this show. And through those, like, just, and and not even, like, failed, but, like, had bad shows. And every time I've had a bad show, uh, it's because the container hasn't been properly set. Like, they, they don't, the audience isn't clear what they're getting into. So if I'm at an event where there's a lot of other personal development speakers speaking, and I get up there and I do my thing, people don't know it's a joke. So it's important to me that this is a comedy show first and foremost. Yeah. If they're not laughing, I'm doing something wrong. And that's why anytime I'm trying to get a message across, you, do you watch the show Friends? Have you ever seen the show Friends? Uh, it's, uh, it's been around. Yeah. I, so it's on Netflix right now. And I just rewatched the whole thing. I loved it growing up. And, and now as a writer, comedian, I'm seeing it through brand new eyes. And they 
invest so much heart into some of these scenes and some of these situations are like really serious moments but to keep the audience from getting dragged too far down they always insert a joke and it doesn't you know negate what's going on but it just allows us to stay present because it's not too heavy the humor is uplifting the humor keeps us present because if it gets too heavy, we're going to shut down. If we feel like we're being imposed upon too much, we're going to shut down. So if you're not laughing, I'm doing something wrong. If I'm trying to get something across that is the most important, I need to have a, an element in there that is keeping you laughing and keeping you open. So that's always been my rule going through this. I have certain slides in the show that, that have no value, but they're just to shake things up. Right. You know? Love it. The lobster slide. That was great. Yeah. It's <laughs> one of my favorite things. People are like, take it out. It doesn't make any sense. And I go, that's exactly why it's that's in exactly. there. Yeah. It's at the pivotal moment. You need a little yeah. a little uh, breakup over yeah. there. You could feel. To have a breakthrough, you need to break it up. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, we could feel people. We could feel where they're at. We, if, we, if we tune into someone, like we could tell if they're engaged with what we're saying, with with our intention for them um but th this isn't judaism another rabbi told me this i'm sorry i've talked to other rabbis <laughs> will you ever forgive me <laughs> um it like that it's a, and you'll correct me with the proper way of saying this but like it's a it's a sin it's a miss to say something to someone in a way in which they cannot hear it like if if you're trying to tell someone something if you're trying to share an idea a message you need to say it in a way in which it could be heard you have to have the listener in mind in order to communicate something. Exactly. There's yeah. a there's a Maharaji quote, um, which is, "I give people what they want so that they'll want what I give them." Beautiful. Uh, well, King Solomon coined it with education, saying that like the idea is that you have to educate according to their level, not according to your level. Yeah. In Hasidic philosophy, a teacher or somebody who's a communicator, communication has to have dual ability. It needs to have both communication skills but it also needs to have full tolerance without tolerance there's no real communication there's just putting information out there and the way the brain works you need to have the wisdom you have to have the ability to communicate it but then you need the tolerance for the other person for them to truly actually accept what's happening and that's kind of the idea of of the future of mankind it says god will be like knowledge but the word knowledge that they use das really represents tolerance mm. so that means the future of the world is not built on us recognizing god it's building on the tolerance to have for everything for other people and hence the concept to me of joy is more important now that it's ever been maybe hundreds of years ago in the shtetl it was like dude you got to survive mm -hmm. but the post-survival society really needs humor they need to really be joyous and excited about things because that is the gift of tolerance is to be happy with one another if you're not happy you can't fully accept somebody else you just can't Everybody's in your way. When you're happy, then you can have true gratitude, which is what I have is enough for me to get through my life and to be successful in my life. So I don't just see humor as an entertainment value. And today, I think humor is struggling a little bit because you have every generation has a great uh, generation of comics and they put a lot out there. And that's what I see now of this next generation having to figure out what is humor. And I've been a little down actually about it going in the political sphere uh -huh. and that humor has gone political because like, I'm not in on the joke, uh -huh. <laughs> okay? Like I'm not in on the political humor, like so it doesn't it doesn't reach me. So coming, but I am in the in the trying to be the best person I could be world. So you you hit me in a way that like was so refreshing and so exciting because it really spoke to just I think people deep down just want to be the best version of themselves as often as they can and as steady as they can. 
And so when you're a kid, you go back and forth, like you have your highs and your lows. When you get an adult, you your main calling card is some sort of stability, some sort of reliability. And the most reliable self is the one where you just accept that your life is yours and you're going to make the best of each decision and be happy about it. That is the real joy as a breakthrough to me is it's a breakthrough where you're like, when I use joy as my calling card, I'm more attractive, I'm more reliable, and I'm steady. And this includes not making it result-based. It's not about results. It's about simply that this is my calling card. This is how I live. And I see that in you doing a show 50 times and 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 spending a couple of years on this and really putting yourself into that. And I feel like I saw the greatest show of your life the other night. That was, it was just yeah. unbelievable. And that, to me, is incredible to witness your joy really really not only finding itself, but like really breaking through yourself. That was unbelievable. You are phenomenal, man. I, I really appreciate it. And uh, it, I, I felt it before going out on stage that night. There was, there was a different energy within me where I was like, oh, this is, this is the beginning. I said, this is like the start of the next level. I said, from here, there's no going back. And I couldn't have been happier because, you know, you, they say it takes 10 years to become an overnight success. Literally, May is my 10-year anniversary of being in Los Angeles trying wow. to make this happen. And things are, like, clicking and singing and, and starting to move in the direction that I've only dreamt of. Um, so to kind of feel like this, 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 like, reverberance through my body before that show of, all right, like, you've passed the test is kind of what it was. Like, you followed the, I don't know if you've ever seen, like, Ready Player One, but it's like you followed the Easter eggs that, you know, that, that have been laid out for you, and you are now here, and you are knocking on the door, and, and it's ready to open for you. It was, it was truly uh, just a, a blissful experience to be able to perform uh, th that show, and it's, it's only going to get better. So you said you had some tough times. Yes, Give us a, a tool. Give me a tool. Give me something that you reached back for to, to remind you about the joy that it takes to make this work. Like what was something that maybe you did you have like a go to move, a go to thought, a go to place that helped you get there? Someone once said that um, on their deathbed, they never wish that they were at the office more. They always wish that they'd spent more time with their friends and family and doing things that they love. Um, I've carried that with me every time I've had like a, oh, do I quit on this? Like, do I, am I fooling myself? Am I delusional to try and come out and make it in the entertainment industry? Um, and there was a moment where I just said, so what? Like I can go get a job and be miserable. And I, I, I say to, to God, to the universe, whatever, all the time, if there's something else I'm supposed to be doing, show me and make it fun. Show me and like show me something that I can enjoy as much as I enjoy this because you know I love my parents I, and they're so supportive. But watching me go through this for the past ten years, they've been like, Can't, "Is there something else? Like they like what what else? Maybe you could be a teacher. Maybe you could do you know work with kids at, at at a camp." And I'm just like, "No, like I would love to do that on on the side, but like that is not my thing, and I cannot focus on that because if I were to focus on that, I'd feel like I was giving up." And I have this purpose and this calling. And I always think to myself, like, if I have to live out of my car, which luckily I've never had to do, but if I have to live out of my car and, and do this, my, my, I will feel fulfilled because I know that I'm at least striving. I felt like there's such honor in, in striving for something uh, bigger than myself. And I can't think of another way in which I can serve the world to the degree that I, I, I see the potential for through my comedy through my show through my films that's the vehicle that ever since i was 
a little kid, that's where my spark has lived. That's where my joy has been. I always like think like trace back your joy. You lost it. Go back to the last time you felt it and like just start there. You'll know if you're going in the wrong direction. You'll definitely know if you're going in the right direction. That's it right there. By making joy your North Star, yeah. you essentially now, whenever you're not happy, you just trace it back to the last point of happiness and then recontinue from there yeah. in the other direction. It's brilliant. I, uh, living in San Francisco and now Venice, my mom would always throw in the first several years going through starting up phase of the rabbi on my own with no backing agency and having to raise my own funds and do everything. I was just operating on this dream and essentially I was, I couldn't live in a car with a wife and now almost, now almost six kids. I'm saying almost as if, I don't know, I have to double check. You got check. another one on the oh way? Oh my God, no. <laughs> <laughs> so my mom would always say, come back to New York, do it in New York. At least, you know, if it doesn't work out, you're right here where our house is here. And I always be like, my point of departure on this feeling like this was where I belonged happened where I was in California in San Francisco at the time. So I felt like the point of origin of how I got to this incredible place that I wanted to be in wasn't back at her home, even though, of course, that's my confidence and that's my background. And, and, I, and I love that I can always think back to that safe place. But, and that's where probably my confidence comes from is knowing that I had a safe place to go back to. But that point of origin of where you last were really happy is never, I think, in the last party you were at or the last great like event that you were at. It was a point within yourself where you were happy with what you saw in the mirror, with what you got up with that morning. So for me, joy has to become binary. It has to become the tool for our generation so they know where they're holding in life. And anytime they're unhappy, they go, oh, wait, it's not that I have to change my job or change what I'm doing. They have to go back to, this is what I was, ha I was happy to this point. We're oftentimes don't make the right decisions. That's cool. But then you got to learn from it. You got to back up, go back to that point of origin, make another decision, make another great decision and never give up on that. Otherwise you would have left this show already, left this narrative, done other things because every time you'd be like, I'm unhappy and I'm unsuccessful at this point. Instead, you went back to the point of origin within the creation of your show and was like, okay. That was happy there. Let's rebuild the show from here now. I've also, yeah, like I've it's left amazing. the show many times and then come back to it. I wrote, I started writing the book two years ago and yeah. it's not like this. For those who want to take a deep dive with this incredible journey of Rossi wrote the book, stop stopping the unstoppable. Uh, look it up. It's as hilarious as the show, but this time in pen really, uh, really wonderful thank you yeah i put a, a lot of effort into that and it was a stop and go process like i during these two years that i've been doing it, i also made a short film i also went out and got another job like there were there were other things that were like happening in the midst of this i wasn't ignoring the world around me while i was doing it but there was you know as, as kermit the frog would say like i i've heard it too many times to ignore it like it mm. just something kept calling me back to it and when i do it you get like this burst it's like an addiction like this dopamine release in your brain and you're just like oh yeah this is the <laughs> stuff like this is like when you feel on purpose there's nothing that beats it um because that, that's we're just beings here trying to trying to find a way to stay in joy. But here's something that's actually complicated about joy and our generation. So I think a lot of people, whether they know it or not, derive either significance or loving connection through unhappiness. And I've seen a lot of people that live in their darkness because that's how they get love. That's how they relate to other people. And I noticed myself start to do it because it'd be like someone would be like, hey, how you doing? And I'd be like, oh, like, you know, things are going okay. They could be better. Because whenever you do that, someone that loves you goes, oh, what's going on? 
and they give you all this love and they give you this attention and they give you this affection. And I like, once I made that distinction, I like rewired my brain and I was like, oh my God, I'm bringing myself down because I want love and connection. But I was like, what if I retrain my brain that people can be happy and give me love? Oh my God, that's amazing. That like, I'm doing fantastic. Like I'm, I'm going to, instead of making myself small, I'm making myself bigger. How are things going? Amazing. I'm doing this and I'm going to focus on the good things that are going on and trust that in the wake of my, my successes, my glowing, my joy, I will either like lose the people that want me in my sadness, which I'm very okay with and start to attract people that are operating on that same wavelength and doing amazing things and, and calling more of that into my life. Um, and, and I wrote this like a while ago about like how we live in like this, this society of anxiety. And then amongst that, we've created this community of anxiety. So like so many people will post online of like, I'm suffering from anxiety today. And then they get like a bunch of clicks and like me too. Oh my gosh, we're all anxious together. And then they get this feeling of community around. I feel so anxious. They don't even realize that they're getting the comfort from it. Why would you ever get rid of anxiety if your subconscious is getting so much from it? You won't, you'll live in your anxiety. I like to say anxiety is the soul's trying to talk to you and yeah. you're not listening. There's a part of you that's trying to really, really talk to you and get across that you can be doing more or you have more to offer. I, I want to take this just a, a different direction a little bit yeah. of, of the idea that, because I want to keep this to this idea that joy is a breakthrough. In other words, when a person is not really feeling great about what they're doing, the only thing they could really do is find joy because in solitude, when you're alone and you're trying to figure out what you're about and you get sad, so you start telling people you're sad so you can get their attention. But the reality is if you keep doing it, you become needy. You're dependent on that. And that codependence, of course, doesn't lead to great long-lasting relationships. No. When you're joyous, you have to be joyous as a breakthrough and as a status and as a strategy on your own. You, it's not codependent. You just have to accept that I'm happy, not based on anything other than that's my flow. That's what I'm about. I'm going to be happy. And because I'm happy, now I'm not needy anymore. So now I'm more attractive. I'm more self, I'm more yeah. self-sufficient. I'm that guy who takes care of this great big dog over here. That, <laughs> that, is, that is there for me. So I see joy as the most self-sufficient part of existence that the Hasidic masters used to say that being sad is not a sin, but in a way it's worse. <laughs> and the opposite is being joy isn't a mitzvah, but in a way it's better. It's yeah. Because essentially by having joy, even your relationship to the divine is not this codependent one. I think so much of Judaism has gone wrong where prayer has become asking God for stuff. Yeah. And then you grow up and you're like, what stuff? God's not giving me anything. Like that, that doesn't work that way. You don't pray to God for stuff and get it. I'm out. This yeah. anthropomorphic stuff, as we started with, I'm out. And I'm like, well, that's actually not the idea. The idea is that God doesn't give you stuff. The idea of talking to the divine is having a personal, independent, non-dependent relationship, an independent. So instead of having a codependent relationship on God, which is going to get very cynical very quickly, you have an independent one. Well, what is the power of the universe? What is the energy? It's right. After all, it's either I believe this was created and I matter or I believe this wasn't created and I don't matter. Okay. Yeah. I only matter based on which society I live in and California values me more than let's say somewhere else. Uh -huh. So that's not going to work for me. For me, the concept of believing is the idea that every single human being matters. There's no one superfluous. Every single individual has something to bring to the universe. 
I can only see that when I'm happy. When I'm happy, I could see that there's value in each individual. When I'm sad and things don't matter and I don't feel that value, then I immediately stop seeing the value in every single person. And since there's new people coming into my life every single day, and now I live in Venice, there's incredible amounts of people coming every day. My only tool to handle all these people coming in is being happy myself. It's the only way for me to handle it, especially because we're a slightly exclusive community. Yeah. Not fully, but slightly exclusive. Like we can't handle everyone, but we try to take in a specific group of entrepreneurs, young people, Venice type personalities that are looking to really grow. And maybe they didn't see Judaism as an engine for that growth, but now they do. So with me, that's kind of my job. I can only be attractive to them if I'm happy. Yeah. So I started wearing yellow glasses and or other <laughs> outlandish glasses because I, for example, don't shake women's hands. And in California, that's like, you know, every hour somebody yeah. shakes their hand. So in the beginning, I was like, oh, it's not my custom. It's not how I was brought up. And I was like, this is getting me nowhere. People look at me like weirdo. And that's yeah. the end of it. So I put on these glasses and this is like my cape. And now I, <laughs> they stick out their hand and I go. I don't shake hands. I get to know you. How are you? What's going on? And I do anything I can. And, or, and if it really doesn't work and if she frowns, I go, I can't shake your hand, but these glasses are dope, right? Yeah. yeah. So the idea is, is that Pattern joy has become my calling card yeah. exclusively for my community. And now I'm finding it that it's for me too. Every single day, it really adds value constantly. And uh, so I'm just uh, blown away by your journey and by how hard 10 years, incredible that you put this work in yeah. and you're not just starting to see the fruits of the labor. The fruits of the labor are there in the hundreds of people walking out going, I'm so happy. Yeah. I I've really taken by this. So it's only a testament to your authenticity and bring your authenticity in and you were born Jewish. You are Jewish. So that's part of your authenticity. Maybe, uh, do you have at this point in your journey, something specifically Jewish that's made you who you are today, you think, with this specific idea? Because right now it's been sort of like the one journey itself. Thing, and not one, one thing, thing, anything. So much. So much? Well, before every show, I say the Shema. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, I had this one experience where, like, I was like, you know, just coming up as a, a stand-up and I was okay, you know? And I want, I always want to be the best. Like, I, I want to be on those huge stages of all of my heroes. And I was in some kind of like a personal development workshop and they had me uh, tell a joke to someone like closer than we are sitting now is like maybe like four inches between our faces. And I told him a joke and it just, oh, it, it died. <laughs> and he goes, okay, like, uh, no, he said, no one look at him because like I looked around the room to be like, someone laugh with me, like someone, anything, give me, give me something, give me laughter. Um, and he goes, okay, I want you to tell him that same joke, but I want you to give it to him. I want you to give it to him as a gift as if you were saying, I love you. So I sat for a second and I connected with this guy and I told him the exact same joke from that place. And he was crying. He was laughing so hard. Same joke. <laughs> it's not a great joke, but it showed me that in comedy, if I'm up on that stage to receive, I'm not doing my job. But if I get up on that stage to give, that's that's the secret, and it and it, it it'll resonate with people more. Like they'll feel it in a different way. Beautiful. And so the Shema to me is a reminder that we're all one, and that I am the part of this puzzle to give this to the other parts of of our oneness. So that's that Shema to me, 
And then I also say, uh, like, let this go delightfully off the rails. That's my prayer before every show. Delightfully off the rails. It'll still be one. It'll still be one. And it's like, you know, we, we I, I try and create a sense of oneness with that audience. Um, if I'm, I'm of the belief, like I said, like I create a container. The goal is to create a container in that theater so that if someone says something up in the stands, I'm not going to ignore it because the audience heard it too. And if, if we've all noticed something, to not call it out, to not address it and incorporate it, it's like I'm blocking something off and it's always a gift. They could say something and, and then I just have to be open to taking that and then using it in the show and using it on the stage. And they're, they're performing with me. Every single audience I've had, it's like, I, people go, how long is the show? I go an hour, an hour and a half if they're good. <laughs> because it's like the, it be, so much more gross from it. Half of that stuff that you saw on that stage wasn't planned. You could tell that some of the segments were literally built from previous crowds that were naturally saying certain things in response to you. And then you're like, I should just make this part of the show, right? You're like the six yeah. human emotions and you write only five yeah. and somebody yells out, Hey, it's only five. And you're like, the need to be right. Number yeah. six, you know, like that's, that's like a pure, that was, and that's brilliant. It's exciting. People are just like, just cracking up. Yeah. Unbelievable. It's, they're, they're, you know, as an audience and any performer will tell you from Stephen Colbert, or David Letterman, that like Conan O'Brien, that the audience if they bring it, if it's good, it brings more out of the performer. The audience is doing most of the heavy lifting, and then it becomes like a game of ping pong. So well, I want to add yeah. to your last statement of giving and just tell you that that's that I asked you something Jewish, and intuitively you gave me exactly it, not just the Shema, but there's this idea in Kabbalah that an individual is only seen when they're giving. When they're consuming, they're never seen as an individual. You know how to consume movie and binge watch. Somebody else could figure out how to sit on the couch and binge watch. You like this food, somebody else could learn how to like this food. But in giving and contribution, everybody has to find a unique strain of themselves in order to contribute and in order to give. So by putting yourself out there as a giver, that's when your individual you know, giving starts to really flow and you find out what that individual is. Shema Yisrael, you focus on the last word of oneness, you could connect it to the first one to hear, to, to take in. The right way to take in is not to consume, but it's to take in in order to be uplifted by something. The, the word listen, Shema, is an acronym for three words, which is lift my eyes to the heavens. Mm. That's what Shema comes in. Like In order to really take in godliness, you can't look at it as an anthropomorphic being, somebody judging you. We started off with the courtroom, but as an actually somebody incorporating a journey just for you to succeed, that all your challenges, everything happening to you is really there for something unique to happen over here. And until you find that uniqueness, it's hard to say the challenges will stop. You may find fame and fortune, but unless you're becoming a giver and contributing and finding a unique ability to do that, you're not going to reach your potential. This all, I'm just going to give you a segue, goes all in from joy. The next holiday season is Passover. And Passover is all about leaving bad habits behind and creating new good habits, like a rebirth of like bad habits happen in a vacuum. If you don't work on yourself, so you just all of a sudden you have these bad habits. You're like, where'd these come from? But good habits, good attitudes come from actually hard work. Same as with joy. Since joy is the cradle of your existence, without the work of joy, of the strategy of it and the breakthrough of it, you don't really have it. 
That's why as a child, when you get older, it just can't be the same. And if you're a child, nobody wants to deal with you once you're an older child, you're mm-hmm. a man child. It's just too difficult. You don't have great friends. But when you harness the joy, not only do people want to be around you, but you more importantly find the unique self of where you contribute to the world. So Ross, you are without question a guy who's encapsulated that. And so thank you for sharing that with us over here. This is also our longest podcast yet. What are we at? Right We're at 47 minutes. Yeah, I see. And it flows. <laughs> it works. Yeah. Uh, I love you, man. And I appreciate you and our community and for introducing people to us. And I want to introduce you to the network that listens to this podcast and say, check out Ross Everest, a.k.a. Dale Thornhammer. Everest? You pronounced my last name <laughs> Ever- with an Ashkenazi accent. <laughs> <laughs> what can I tell you? It's everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Ross Everett. All right. The Shabbat or Shabbos. What do you yeah. want me to do? <laughs> yeah. you know? And uh, check out his book, Stop Stopping the Unstoppable. Unbelievable. Where should they find it? You can go to stopstoppingtheunstoppable.com or you could follow uh, me on Instagram at yeah, the Ross that. Everett on Instagram or my, I guess my alter ego, Dale Thorhammer <laughs> on Instagram I at Dale Thorhammer. Sweet. Uh, thank you all for tuning in and I look forward to you to talking about Passover next week. Shem Tariti Ali Adi